Well, good morning. Better put my other set of eyes on just in case I need them. Today is Epiphany, and Epiphany is a word that means manifestation. So, Epiphany is the day. It's also called the Feast of the Three Kings, or Three Kings Day, or Theophany is just, which is a big word, which means God appeared. And uh, last night when we had dinner, uh, Brandon and Julianne brought a Three Kings cake. And we ate it looking for the Three Kings, but we forgot we were supposed to put them in the cake. And so we didn't find the kings until after we'd already eaten the cake. <laughs> but that's all right. When the, when the three kings, or the magi, which is their proper name, when they came to see Jesus, we don't really know how old Jesus was. We have a good idea, but it wasn't at the manger, because if you read the account, you'll see that they came to the house where Mary and Jesus, the babe, were. And so Jesus was, by that time, out of the manger into a home, but he was probably somewhere between one and two years old because we know the account of the wise men coming to Herod and asking, where is this? Herod finds out that this king who was prophesied born. The story, Herod sends out his soldiers and he orders the murder of every male child from two years old down. So we know Jesus was somewhere between birth and two years old when the wise men encountered him. And the wise men came from the east, so they, they were Gentiles. These were probably uh, men trained in all sorts of arts and sciences, and they had no doubt followed the prophecies of the Old Testament, and they saw the star, and they followed the star, and they came to Jesus. And they came and they bore gifts to him. This is what Epiphany commemorates or celebrates. Well, what should we take from this day? We should take from this day the tired cliche. You've heard it. You've seen wise men still seek him. You see it on bumper stickers at time. You see it windows on signs. But as tired as that cliche may be, or as cheesy as that might sound, it's actually extremely true. These were wise men who traveled from afar to worship the king, who saw the star, and they went to the babe, and they worshiped him. So these wise men, they came from afar to worship Jesus. And the point is, Wise men, wise women, wise children, wise people worship Jesus. And we're reminded of that fact through the remembrance of this day. But I'm not really so much caught up on days and feasts because this reality, again, is something that we should live with and remember every day. Jesus is not someone that we seek to worship once a year or three times a year, Christmas, Easter, and Epiphany. No, Jesus is 
the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He wasn't just the King in the manger. He is the King who sits on the throne now. And the point of talking about this feast today for me in the new year is to remind you of who you are as the church. So the church is not the building we worship in. You are the church. The church, this building is not where God lives. There's nothing magical about this building. What makes this building special is the fact that the church gathers here. The church assembles here. The presence of God doesn't live in this building or in any other building. The presence of God lives in you. You are the building of God. You are the house of God. You are the temple of God. You are the church. And so the worship of Jesus is something that should be with us every day, that we should be mindful of every day. Some people say the Bible is not political, but in reality, if you read the Bible, you read the history of Israel, it's all about politics. Even the story of the three kings is a story filled with political intrigue. These were three, we assume it was three, it might, might be more than three. Let me read my text to you today. It's from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to talk about this. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. We know those wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold and incense. Frankincense and myrrh, these were burial spices. And they brought them as gifts to the newborn Jesus. And they brought gold to him. And this is what Isaiah writes. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, frankincense and myrrh. And they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. That's exactly what the wise men did that, that day they came. And they saw the child Jesus they proclaimed the praises of him. But they went to the king, Herod, the ruling king, the ruling authority, and they said, we're looking for a king. So get the picture. 
king, we're looking for a king who shall rule. I don't know if you've ever noticed something about politicians, but politicians and kings very often are insecure. You read history and you see about insecure kings who had everyone killed. Or you can read the news and see where insecure rulers have everyone killed. It happened in North Korea not too long ago when, a, when the rule changed there. This is what we see throughout history. This is what Herod did. He sought to have Jesus killed because he didn't want a king coming in and taking his power and his authority. And so God even warned these wise men and said, don't go back the same way you came because Herod is looking to kill this child. And they went a different way. Herod, remember, told them, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I too can come and worship him. That was a lie. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to dispose of him. And so we see in the scripture, this is Isaiah writing centuries before the birth of Jesus, declaring that there is one coming. There is a light coming to the darkness. Remember, this is what John writes in his, as in his account of the gospel. He says, the true light has come. And he said, this is the condemnation. John writes this in his gospel. This is the condemnation that the light has come, but men love the darkness more than they love the light. And here in Isaiah, Isaiah speaks of the darkness that covers the earth, the deep darkness that, that covered the people. But the Lord will arise over you. The Lord, the light will arise over you and the glory will be seen upon you. And Gentiles, the nations will come to your light. That's us. I don't know if you are, but I'm not an ethnic Jew. I'm a Gentile. And Isaiah, writing to the Jewish people, declares that the Gentiles, the nations, will come to the light of this glorious Lord and King that would come to this earth. We are... The fruit of that. We are the fruit of men and women preaching the gospel. We're the fruit of the birth of Jesus. We're the fruit of the wise men. We're the fruit of wise men through the centuries that have sought him and worshipped him and proclaimed him aloud and not kept their light hidden and not silenced their voice. But in spite of the opposition, in spite of the persecution, they lifted their voices and they lifted their heads and they made the Christ known. And we know that's true because here we are today. You did not come here because men stayed silent. You are here today worshiping the king because men chose to open their mouths, to raise their voices, and to let their light shine. And since the beginning of creation, since the first blood was spilt when Cain killed his brother Abel, from that time men have been spilling blood to try to stop the purposes of God. It's not just ancient history. It's happening right now in various parts of the world. And where they're not spilling blood 
to try to stop the purposes of God and the spread of the gospel. They are pressuring and they are persuading and they are applying pressure for men to compromise their beliefs. The struggle is constant. The opposition to the gospel is real. But the good news is the light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. They cannot stop the purposes of God. They can't do it. Wise men have always come to worship the king. And wise men today still worship the King Jesus. And men still try to dispose of and destroy and stop what God is trying to do. In the days that we live in, especially now, in our nation, we need wise men to seek the Lord. The very thing our nation needs most is the very thing it is working to destroy. The repentance of a nation begins with the heartfelt repentance of its people, specifically God's people called by God's name. We are the people of God. That's why you're here today. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and believe that you came to this place today to worship God. And as a worshiper of God, as one who is called by his name, the Bible says we hold the key to the healing of our nation. And if you have not realized, our nation needs healing. The enemy was at work when Jesus was born. Babies were slaughtered in an effort to destroy the Christ child. Babies are still being slaughtered today in an effort to stop what God intends to do. The difference is we as God's people know that God's purposes cannot be stopped. But the world is foolish enough to believe that they can stop what God says he will do. And they believe that because they don't believe in God or they don't believe in the God of the Bible. They may believe in a God, but they don't believe in the God. When Jesus was born, he was born into a period of time that was like any other period of time on earth. It was ripe with political intrigue and controversy and unrighteousness and wickedness and crookedness the very king that sought to kill him was was a wicked crooked king who had taken his place in a way that was not according to righteousness he used his power to manipulate and to control as many rulers do today We've been given a mandate by God. You know what a mandate is? It's a, it's a command. It's an authoritative 
command, it's an order that someone in authority gives to another person. Our mandate today is, can be described in two ways. We have a mandate called the Great Commandment. We read this last week, and we have a mandate called the Great Commission. Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 gives us the Great Commandment. This is our mandate. This is what God commands us to do. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. In other words, remember to do those two things, and you've got everything else under control. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you've fulfilled all the law and all the prophets, Jesus said. We also have what's called a great commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority. What's a mandate? It's an authoritative command, an authorization to act. Jesus came and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our mandate, to love God with all our heart, to worship him, to seek him, and to make disciples, to tell men, to teach men, to teach others about Jesus, to give witness to Jesus, to baptize them, to teach them to do what? To obey all that Jesus has commanded. Well, what did Jesus command? Well, he said the greatest command is to love God. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Well, if you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, you're going to obey Jesus and you're going to do what he said. And what did he say to do? He said, go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. Do you see what happens? When we're faithful and consistent to do that, what happens is there's a multiplication effect. You become a disciple, you make a disciple. The person you make a disciple becomes a disciple, they go out and they make a disciple. That's how we've come to sit in this building today. Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, a baby in a manger. So insignificant, so powerless, so... I mean, no one, there were no TV crews there, there was no social media, there was nothing, no one except some poor shepherds who showed up at the birth of Jesus along with stable animals and angels. Thank you. Yes. And it was the angels that came and the angels told those shepherds and those shepherds went to Jerusalem. And from that humble beginning, how have we come to be in the place that we are today? Because men have wisely obeyed the command of God. To love him, to worship him. Because the church has faithfully obeyed the command of Jesus to go and to make disciples. 
Well, where does that begin? It begins with you. It begins with me. It begins in our own heart. And from our heart, it spreads from there. Just like when Jesus told his disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And they waited in Jerusalem. And he says, when God sends the Holy Spirit, you'll be endued with power from on high so that you can be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see that Jesus commands them to start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, then go to the ends of the earth. Where does discipleship begin with us? It begins in our heart. And it spreads to those closest to us, around us. To our spouses, to our children. To our family, to our friends, to our neighbors. And it keeps moving out. And God has, in his grace, empowered his church to do that to the point that here we are 2,000 years later, still talking about what happened in that, in that humble scene of the birth of Jesus. And how did that happen? And how did that, how did we make it? Well, we made it by the word of God. We made it by the power of God. We made it by the spirit of God. We made it because God promised that he would perform this. The zeal of the Lord would perform this. Remember the prophecy in Isaiah of the birth of the child, that the child would be born. A son would, would be given, a child would be born, and the government would be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end. And then Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. From the moment Jesus was born, the increase of his government and peace has not ceased. It is still increasing. How is that? Well, the Bible says, by the zeal of the Lord, that's how. How will we continue and how will we see the kingdom grow and advance the same way it always has by the zeal of the Lord? But God does not do it apart from faithful men and women, wise men and women. God could have created the world any way he wanted he could have chosen to get the gospel message out any way that he wanted, but God chose human beings. Now, if you've been around human beings long enough, you might wonder, why on earth, God, would you choose human beings to spread your gospel? Because human beings are some of the most unreliable, unfaithful people creations you could ever find. But yet God chose humans to spread the message of salvation. And it's through human agents, through human beings, that God has brought us to this place today. God wants to use you to do what he has done since the creation. This is why he created man. 
Man was created for this purpose, for the glory of God. God didn't create Adam wondering whether Adam would fail or not. God created Adam and knew Adam would fail. That's why the eternal plan and purpose of God was not based on what Adam would do. It was based on Christ. Adam was created and Adam was put here so that Christ could come through humanity and save humanity and save a people for God's glory. God saved you and he saved me for his glory. That means we are to live our lives for his glory. And if we live our lives for his glory, we live wisely. These wise men traveled from afar to see a baby born because they knew this baby was the king prophesied to come that would dispel the darkness of this world, that would bring the glory of God into this dark world and be our hope and be our salvation. Do you know that? Do you believe that? And if you do, does your life demonstrate that? Do you realize that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we hold great power We have more power than you realize. We have the power to change the course of nations through our worship, through our prayer, and through our discipleship, through our obedience to God. We have the power to change, to change things for good or not. I want to just remind you what's happened just recently. Since the beginning of this year, we've seen the first openly bisexual senator sworn into office, proudly not using the Bible for their swearing in. We have the transgender flag flying in the halls of the congressional offices in Washington. We have Muslims taking the oath of office, swearing on the Quran. We have congresswomen publicly and proudly using gross profanity directed toward a sitting president and not ashamed at all about it. We have avowed socialists and communists bragging about how they will restructure our political and economic systems. We have support for increased abortion funding and increased abortion rights as a top priority for Congressional Democrats and their supporters. We have the normalization of sexual perversion. We use letters of the alphabet because it's, it's easier for people to digest. And it, and it doesn't paint the picture as vividly. So it's much more easy to say, I'm, I'm all for LBGTQ rights. Well, what does that mean? You, you, for, you for people learning the alphabet or what? What is that? Lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, queer. 
There's other letters. I don't even know what they mean, but there are other letters. That that normalization of what the Bible calls sexual immorality or sexual perversion, that that would become normal. Making that normal has become a top priority for the leaders of our nation. And they will, through mandates and promotion, make it as normal as they possibly can. For those that are working for this agenda, true biblical Christianity is considered dangerous and destructive to all that they are working to achieve. Preaching the gospel will become increasingly linked with hate speech and hostility toward Christianity. That hostility toward Christianity and the gospel will grow. It will increase. We're not used to that because we've lived in a nation that Christianity, believing in the Bible, whether you ever went to church or not, whether you ever read your Bible or not, you just took for granted that that's who we are. That's what we believe. Are you a Christian? Oh, sure, I'm a Christian. I would have said that, never having gone to church, never having read a Bible, because that's just what you were if you were an American, right? You were a Christian. And sadly and mistakenly, we believed that, and that has brought us to the place we are today. Because you're not a Christian because you're born in America. The American flag doesn't make you a Christian. Your birth certificate that says born in Williamson County or wherever else in these United States of America does not make you a Christian. Only the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, only what Jesus Christ did and your faith in that can make you a Christian. Only God can make you a Christian. Being born on American soil doesn't make you a Christian. Being born again of the Spirit makes you a Christian, and only God can do that. You can't do that. Your mama can't do that. Your daddy can't do that. No politician can do that. Only the Lord God Almighty can do that. You might say, Pastor Jeff, why are you getting political? Well, because the Bible gets political. The Bible doesn't hide what, what took place in the political realm throughout history. And this is our problem, church. We're living in a day and a time, and we want to segregate our religion to Sunday morning. And the people up in Washington, the people all around us are happy if we'll just keep our religion in these four walls right here. And they'll let us have it, and they'll let, it, they'll let us have it as loud and as, as radical as we want, as long as we don't take it out those doors right there. The only problem with that is God, you hear me, church? God commands us that we must take it outside those doors. That's why I read to you what's called the Great Commission. Let me, let me rephrase it for you. Jesus Christ, before he ascends to the Father, comes to his disciples and says to his disciples, for all the church, for all times... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
That means there is no place in the created order that the authority of Jesus does not exist. And Jesus in all of his authority says to his church, and that's us in this room right here, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. It's our, it's our mandate. It's our command. We are called salt and light. And if we just stay segregated in our little churches with keeping our religion and our light just right here with us, we're going to walk outside those doors one day and we're not going to recognize the world we live in. It's happening right now. So I want you to look at these babies, these precious babies all around us in this congregation. You think about the world you grew up in, what kind of world are they going to grow up in? You know who's going to determine what kind of world they're going to grow up in? We are. Right now, we're going to determine that. Now, ultimately, listen, God is sovereign. God's in control. I'm not bringing doom and gloom to you today. I'm just bringing reality to you today. It doesn't really matter if the church just decides that she's going to sit down on her uh, blessed assurance and just wait until she dies and goes to heaven. She can do that. And it's not going to change the reality of what God will do. God will keep his promise. God will fulfill his word. And his promise is that the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Back at about 500 A.D., after the fall of the Roman Empire, the world entered what was called for about a thousand years the Dark Ages. It lasted several good centuries. The majority of the population of the world was illiterate. We regressed greatly. But here we are today. You know why we made it through the dark ages? Because God made a promise in his word that the increase of his government and peace would not end. And we may see the end of what we know or have known as the United States of America and all her glory. We may see the end of that. But you know what's not going to end? The promise of God's not going to end. The people of God are not going to end. The gospel of God is not going to fade away. As much as the, those out there who are the enemies of God want it to fade away and go away, they want you to fade away, they want you to go away, they want everything that God stands for to fade away and go away, but it will not happen because God will fulfill his word because he is the sovereign. Now, the question for us, though, is how are we going to be used in God's story Are we going to wake up, rise up, and in faith understand what God has given us and the authority that he's placed in our hands, in our midst? And are we going to do something with that? Are we going to contend for the faith? 
Are we going to actually obey Jesus and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey? Are we going to actually love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength? And if we do that, then we're going to actually obey God, which means we're going to assemble together. We're going to make disciples. We're going to learn and grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ individually so that we can help others grow. So that we will spread our light. We're going to let our light shine. We're not going to hide it under a basket. We're not going to keep our mouth shut. We're going to open our mouth and we're going to let the gospel come out. You notice I didn't say open your mouth and let hate come out. The gospel is not hate. The gospel is love. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the only hope that this world has. It's the only hope this nation has. And we are the church and we hold that hope. We've been given that hope. We've been given the authority to go and make that hope known. What in the world are we doing? Don't sit there and watch your TV and read your news and wonder what in the world has happened. You know what's happened. The church failed for several generations. She has not done what she is supposed to do. We've compromised. We've been more concerned about pleasing men than we have been about pleasing God. We're just like Israel. We've experienced the ebb and the flow, and we're in a, we're in a low tide right now. But you know what? God's going to change that because he always has and he always will. I don't want to get to heaven one day and watch it change from heaven. I want to be a part of it. I pastor Christ Fellowship Church. I want Christ Fellowship Church to be a part of it. I want Christ Fellowship Church to be a part of what God is doing in this community, in this county, in the world. But don't get focused way out there. Start right here with your own heart. Look at your heart. Examine your heart. I'm going to examine my heart. Let's examine our hearts. And let's start in our own heart and let's move out from there and see what God will do. If we will be faithful and obedient and consistent in worshiping him and loving him in prayer and discipleship. You say, well, I just don't know about all that, Pastor Jeff. I, I don't know how to listen. We're going to walk together. That's why we're called the body. You know, my, my hand can do things my feet can't do. And my feet can do things my hand can't do. And I got parts all in between that help all of it do everything. You don't have to know how to do everything. You just have to realize you're a part of the, the body of Christ. You're, a, you're one part of a greater whole. And let's join together and let God bring his plan and his purpose to pass as we surrender ourselves to him and allow him to work through us. We don't need gimmicks. We need the gospel. If the gospel is not sufficient for you, then you need to look at your heart. Because one day, we're going to be put to the test. It's happening right now. 
might not be happening to you, but think about the baker in Colorado that now has been targeted again. This man is probably going to lose everything he has just because he won't make a transgender birthday cake. He wouldn't make the wedding cake. They took him to court and he spent tens of thousands of dollars, probably more than that. Now they're targeting him again, a lawyer, just to just to make him, basically to force him out of business is what they're going to do. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would never thought that could happen in America. But I'm going to tell you what, this is just the beginning. And if the gospel isn't what has captivated our heart, there is no gimmick. There's no entertainment value that the church can offer that's going to sustain you when, when that type of persecution comes. And we're not even talking physical persecution. They haven't even thrown us in jail yet. But can you imagine being a business owner and and here they are basically through the court system just running you ragged and draining you dry to where you can't even operate anymore. That's the exception. Right now, that's the exception. So that's an extreme case, Pastor Jeff. You know, I think you're being a little alarmist. No. Those are warning signs. And we better heed it. We better heed the warning. What do we do about it? Well, we worship, we pray, and we make disciples. And then we worship and we pray and we keep making disciples. And we keep worshiping and we keep praying and we keep making disciples. And we keep worshiping and we keep praying and we keep making disciples. And we keep living our life faithfully, consistently, gospel-centered, so that our life is a witness whether we are speaking words or not. We should give witness through our words. We should give witness through our actions. We should give witness through our whole being. And the whole time we're doing that, working our jobs, raising our families, entertaining ourselves, eating our food, the whole time we're doing that, we are doing it in a gospel-centered way. We're doing it in a God-honoring way. We're doing it with purpose, understanding that everything we do in our life matters. And if you look at your life and you say, man, I have so messed my life up, I don't see how it can ever get fixed. Don't you worry. God is in the business of fixing messed up lives. God can take the biggest mess you can imagine and he can take it and he can mold it and shape it and recreate it and turn it into something that will bring absolute glory to him. And he loves to do that. And as big a mess as our nation may be right now, it's probably going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. I want you to be prepared for that, but you better start praying now. You better start worshiping now. You better start preparing now. You better look at your heart and find out where you're at in your own discipleship so that you're prepared to obey Jesus in his command to go and make disciples and to teach others to obey This is our mandate. This is what God has put us here for. We can't run away from it. We can't shrink back from it. We can't be afraid of the world and what they may think or what they may do. We need to get over that. 
We better start worrying about what God thinks and stop being so concerned about what men think. Amen? Christ has come. Those wise men went and they found that baby and they worshiped him. And he invites us to worship him. And you are invited to this table. So I want you to prepare yourself. And one of the ways that we prepare ourselves is not just looking inward. One of the ways that we prepare ourselves to come to this table is by looking outward. When Paul talked about discerning the body, he was talking about discerning the body, all of us. We're not all in the same place. We're not all from the same place. And that's by design. And we should take hope from one another that God works in all kinds of people. He works through all kinds of circumstances. He overcomes all kinds of obstacles in people's lives. But we come to this table, one body. So I want to encourage you to trust in Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus, trust in Jesus now. If you haven't trusted in Jesus in a long time, trust in Jesus now. And come to the table of the Lord. All right, let's all stand. Our faith, our freedom, and our way of life will be increasingly under attack by those who feel threatened by the gospel. I think we can be pretty sure of that. Things will be will more than likely get worse before they get better. And this is true because we did not come to this place overnight. It took generations for us to come to this place. Therefore, they're not going to get corrected overnight. They're going to take generations for them to be set right. The good news is Jesus is Lord over all. He has conquered sin and death and all of his enemies. No matter what happens in the short term, in the long term, no matter what happens today or tomorrow, Christ has already secured our victory and we cannot lose. Even if they take our heads, we win. If you are in Christ, you cannot lose. You will never lose in Christ, even though you may suffer loss, and very often we will. We will all suffer loss in some way, in some form, or some fashion. But in Christ, we will never lose. In Christ, we win. We, can't, we come out of darkness and we are brought into the light. The gospel will conquer the world and the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. The church as a whole, and that means Christ fellowship specifically, must be faithful in worship, in prayer, and discipleship. We must be faithful to live a Christ-centered, a gospel-centered life. We must be humble, we must pray, we must seek God's face, we must do these corporately, 
and individually. We must do this publicly and privately, and we must do this consistently and faithfully. So as Paul the Apostle said, let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's run our race to win. Let's finish our race strong. Let's contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And let's stand. And having done all to stand, let us stand therefore knowing that we stand in the Lord and in the power of his might. You don't stand alone and you don't stand in your power. You stand in the Lord. And you stand in the power of his might. And we stand together as the body of Christ. God be glorified because God is victorious and so are we. So take heart, church. That's good news. And we should take that good news out to the world because they really need it. Amen.